Welcome to the Empathetic Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Ed Loker from HG Insights. Ed, it's really nice to have you on. Thank you so much. Looking forward to it. Really excited. So tell me a bit about yourself, your company, and what you're up to. Yeah, so I lead marketing at HG Insights, and we are, we like to think, the preeminent provider of technology intelligence. So companies that are looking to improve their go-to-market efficiency by truly understanding their customer's technology ecosystem, we have that insight that can help them raise that efficiency level by 10, 15, 20% in some cases. I love it. Awesome. And what is the marketing function of your company look like? What are you guys up to? Yeah, so we have specific pillars around global communications, which includes our social media, our website, our design, and our writers. We have dedicated customer marketers to accelerate time to value for our newest customers, as well as create that active engagement for our existing customers over the lifetime, as long as they're customers of ours. And like everyone else, we have a demand gen engine trying to bring new logos into the funnel. And then we have a specific focus on content marketing as well as product marketing. Um, So I would say pretty standard. It's not like the old days where you needed an army of people. Now with technology and tools that are available, you can be really strategic and thoughtful with not a ton of resources and still have a really big impact on the success of your company. Very cool. What have your priorities been since you joined? What are some big accomplishments that, that you guys have had in marketing and what's that look like? Yeah, so fairly traditional in that companies that are on their own growth trajectory, they enter into these certain phases. So when I joined, we were at the tail end of what I would call our startup phase, right? We were somewhere around 30 million-ish in in revenue and still embraced a lot of the goodness of that hero's culture where you're running around and you're pitching in and you're wearing a lot of hats and things like that. But you come to a point where a little kid soccer game where everybody's chasing the ball all over the field just becomes untenable as you're looking to grow revenue. And so that is that transition that we're in right now, which is the scale-up mode, which is how do we learn to play our positions? How do we learn to bring specialization and expertise to bear in order to drive more efficiency so you're getting more out of the same investment? Very Um, cool. I've been very proud of marketing's role in that journey at HG, but as an organization, that's certainly something that we've made a lot of progress on. Absolutely. As you guys transition from maybe a startup to scale up, what are some of those investments in marketing looking like? You mentioned content. I'd love to hear maybe some of what that looks like and some of the other stuff. Yeah. So content specifically. So between content, customer, and product marketing, those were not named functions at HG Insights for the vast majority of time of their evolution. And so we had accumulated some debt. And so benchmarking and actually validating personas and use cases and value propositions and pain points from a product marketing perspective to bringing very specific focus on how do you accelerate that time to value for new customers? How do you help them understand what they bought? How do you help them get the most value out of it immediately? So that ultimately when it comes time to renew, you don't have to resell. You are truly renewing, right? Because they understand the value and they've appreciated what you've done for them over the length of that first contract. Then it becomes a much easier expansion conversation to have. And then probably the biggest one was around content. So we had been doing a pretty good job from a demand gen perspective, and even to some degree from a communications and a brand's perspective. But in my experience, and I think this is proving to be very true at HG, where we sell data, we sell insights, we sell trust, basically. It's not necessarily the next feature function that is going to provide value to our customers. We need more content. 
than some of the organizations that I've worked at in the past. And we need good content. We need compelling content. We need content that can be delivered through multiple channels at different times in the selling cycle. And we really needed to do a better job of meeting our customers where they were, as opposed to where we needed them to be. And so we are currently working off about eight or nine years of content debt, all the way from product documentation to top of funnel. And that has been really a large investment for us in the second half of this year and will continue to be into 2023. Absolutely. And what sorts of channels are you utilizing, especially when it comes to maybe top of funnel, buyer engagement? Obviously, there's LinkedIn, there's YouTube, there's podcasts, blog, a million different channels. Any that have been a particular focus for you guys? Yeah. So we have what I consider to be a simple but sophisticated approach to our outbound activity. So we focus almost exclusively on two channels, and then those are Rollworks, AdWorks, so Google AdWords, CPC, that type of stuff, and LinkedIn. And because of our model, we believe that there are roughly, to be generous, let's say 2,000 companies on the surface of the earth that should be giving us more than a million dollars a year. And so we have a very defined target audience. And so my business is not, I need to go out and get 10,000 people to visit the website to get 4,000 people to click on a couple of pages to get a thousand forms to get 50. That's not what we're doing. We know who we need to talk to. And so the segmentation and the targeting capabilities of those two primary digital channels allows us to put that compelling message in front of the right title at the right account. And we're seeing some real success. And one of the transition areas that I think has been important for us is this evolution from my perspective from an MQL marketing qualified lead is really becoming or soon will become a vanity metric because there's a lot of areas where an MQL can, you can lose the chain of attribution and focusing only on somebody completing a form without looking all the way through to the end of the funnel on, are they actually closing as wins? I've actually had to do quite a bit of education with our own sellers, with our own leadership, with our own board, that getting a senior VP of sales ops at one of our target accounts to watch a nine minute ungated video on LinkedIn is actually worth a lot more than somebody completing a form on the website. And we've actually quantified that from a value perspective. So if we can show at the account level that we're getting this active engagement, ungated again, but we can draw that line between account title and account within our own CRM, we're seeing 10% increase in deal velocity. We're seeing a 13% increase in deal size. And we're seeing almost a doubling of close rates. And so even though we aren't relying on that traditional MQL, as it's been defined, somebody completed a form, becomes an opportunity, and ultimately becomes a sale, we are seeing that you can quantify your contribution to organizational value, even without the form complete or the MQL. Mm. That's been pretty exciting to see how we've been able to do that not only from an operations perspective, but also to get people's mindset away from that traditional model. MQLs are still important to us, still track them, but they don't tell the full story. Absolutely. Yeah. You might have 20 people complete that form, but none of them buy versus one person watched the video and they're straight to buying and through the funnel. Yeah. I mean, I'll take you one step further. You might get 20 people that converted, that completed the form and not a single one of them was attached to the opportunity as a contact because the SDR was talking with somebody else or they gave a fake name or something else. And so I've spent a significant 
part of my career at the end of every month with the VP of sales ops playing this one's mine, that one's yours, right? From an attribution perspective. And nobody got paid any differently. Nobody made any decisions based on those numbers. So it was a manufactured argument that had a very real impact on morale and trust between those organizations. And so our ability to move beyond that and focus at the account level and having this hard line into those three key metrics that for those accounts that are getting that love for marketing and we can prove it in Salesforce, these are the benefits of that. And people are like, okay, I get it, right? What can we do to help make your job easier? Absolutely. Let's talk about inbound versus outbound. Where's your focus? What's driving the majority results? You have a very targeted list of people that you're selling to. Is inbound or outbound more effective? Yeah, we have a really good motion on the sell side on the outbound. We have very talented SDRs. We have wonderful leadership. We have really, really good sellers. And so I'm confident from that on that one-to-one personal outreach, the SDRs, the BDRs, the account execs have that covered. Where I can help is provide that air cover again against all of those accounts. So again, we have this sophisticated but simple outbound marketing engine that makes a big difference. And our model, our ACB is quite high. The complexity of the sale is quite high. I mentioned it before, we're in the business of selling trust. And you don't do that by getting somebody to complete one form. Right. So there's these multiple touch points. And so we are all working in concert. And I give a lot of credit to the sellers at HG and on the marketing side as well. I've never been in an organization that everybody was so aligned. Like we all agree those are the right accounts. And we all agree that if we do these things on our side of the fence, that we're gonna we're gonna benefit from that. And so from their perspective, I trust them to be doing their selling. They trust me to be doing that engagement through those channels that we have. And then from an inbound perspective, because our ACV is so high and because our sell, our cycle is as complex as it is, I rely, I enjoy the inbound. Like we care about SEO, SEM. We are doing more in that arena. We're building outdated dictionaries to improve our algorithm performance. And we're doing all these things. But it's actually quite rare for somebody to stumble across HG Insights on the website of their own volition because they did a keyword search and ultimately end up spending $120,000. It just doesn't happen that often. So it's an important part. And as we get better as an organization on providing more products, more services, more value to a much broader set of prospects, that'll become an increasingly more important part for us. But right now, it's definitely on the outbound side. I agree. I think sometimes outbound is demonized or whatnot, but I'm personally a big fan of it. The buyers are busy. They got a lot of stuff going on. If you can effectively get in front of them and present, a, you know, hey, we'll solve your problem in this way, it's great. Yeah. I mean, an offering, I think, is unique enough that for someone to have an epiphany and say to themselves, geez, I wonder if somebody out there has a comprehensive view of the technology ecosystem of this company that I want to sell to in six months with because I know that two pieces of technology in their stack are end of lifing and six of them are coming up next month on contract. Like That just isn't going to happen. <laughs> like that into your Google search, we would come out on top, right? I think we would have great conversions on that, but it's something that isn't quite as intuitive as some of the other offerings that are out there. Like we're just not selling shoes, right? It's for movies or anything like that. I mean, it's a Google search on that inbound piece is part of an integrated journey. And it's very rarely necessarily an attributable first step in the process. 
Absolutely. So I think one of the things that a lot of marketers are thinking about now, especially as events and field marketing opens back up, how are you balancing this with digital? It was very clear cut before COVID, you got digital in person. Now I'm seeing a lot of blended strategies, hybrid events, all sorts of stuff. How are you guys approaching uh, you know, <laughs> that in digital? Yeah, like, like everybody else as best we can, right? We literally are having our first customer event next week. And that's in person, right? And on the front end of our customer event is our cab and that's hybrid <laughs> because the, like half of our cab members aren't allowed to travel or for whatever reason, they're not able to be there. So we have had by necessity, like everybody else to adopt a hybrid model. I think that there's a place for in-person events for sure. I don't think we're ever going to go back to the way things were before COVID, which personally, from my own bias perspective, I'm totally fine with because I think Events are a wonderful opportunity in that they bring a lot of key people together in a single location for a period of time. But throughout my career, it's been very difficult for me to find a justifiable ROI on a 40 by 40 booth and just grabbing traffic off the show floor, right? And so as we've been more thoughtful in where we invest post-COVID, speaking slots at events are always going to be premium and a good opportunity for us. We will send people to events and again, mingle and track down our prospects at those events. But we would be very thoughtful about investing in a big booth presence going forward. Absolutely. Any last final thoughts as we wrap up here? Any advice you have for other marketers out there? Yeah, I would say, well, two things. Keep an open mind when it comes to what marketing is going to look like over the next 18 months. That's a cheat because marketing is always evolving and it's always changing. But I spoke about a couple of things here that I think are going to be really important, which is this MQL business, right? It, for a long time, marketers hung their hat and their justification and their budget requests on the number of form completes that they got. And I think there's going to be an increasingly robust scrutiny on the value of those MQLs and relying solely on an MQL to justify a marketing budget, I think underestimates marketing's ability to have an impact. And expand your mind outside of what it means to be a marketer in this time and age with the tools that we have, the technology that's available, and the skills that people have. Those the younger people that are coming up now, I'm constantly amazed by just the perspective that they bring and the great ideas they have. So keep an open mind, I think, would be the first one. And then the second one is there is no substitute for alignment with your sales team. And the thing that I have found to be the most useful in getting that alignment is being vulnerable, right? So sales is binary. Every 90 days, there's a report card and it's pass fail, right? Did you hit your number or did you not? And there's an accountability built into that, that I think most sellers would tell you does not exist in most other parts of other organization. And so from a marketing perspective, it's very easy for us to sit back and say, hey, I gave you all the MQLs hey, we have great click-through metrics. Hey, we're under budget. We have all these things. But there isn't that same level of accountability that there is in sales, generally speaking, for those marketing metrics. And for those marketers that really want to get alignment and partnership with sales, they need to be in the trench with sales so that at the end of those 90 days, if there is enough revenue to cover the number, then fantastic, everybody's a winner. If there isn't enough revenue to cover the number, sales didn't lose and marketing won, right? You both lost. And Absolutely. you need to be vulnerable and expose your metrics 
be transparent about it. And if you're missing, be honest about what you're doing to get better because they live that every day. And unless you share that same level of vulnerability and exposure, there will always be that tension and potential mistrust. So that's what I've learned is they crave transparency because it's forced on them. And for those marketers who are willing to embrace that and be in the trench with them, that is the quickest way to true alignment. Absolutely. Yeah. Your content might get 5,000 views, but did you hit your pipeline numbers and actually generate pipeline? I don't know how many times I've said something and they're like, so what? (laughs) Yeah. I don't have a good answer to that. Like, well, we got the view. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, Ed, it's been amazing to have you on. Thanks so much for joining and sharing all your wisdom and insights here. No, I appreciate it. It was a great time. Thanks very much. Absolutely.